It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, we're going to dive into the NBA draft and also where the current Thunder sit ahead of the NBA draft with our draft expert, Richard Stamen, talking all things NBA draft, the draft lottery, and the SGA Josh Giddy pairing. What draft prospects fits best with those two? Find out on today's Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. Your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast. On the Locked On Podcast Network. Your teams every day. I'm your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show thunderpot at gmail.com. On today's show, we're talking about the NBA draft and reviewing where the Thunder are at right now as a team with our draft expert, host of Locked on NBA Draft, Richard Stamen. Richard, how are you doing today? Hey, it's uh, it's good to be back. Sorry for the delay on that. I uh, clearly am a little bit rusty coming on the show that I couldn't unmute myself quick enough, but it is, uh, hey, I'm excited to be back and talk draft with uh, my favorite uh, team podcast. There we go. Locked on Thunder. Uh, if you were listening to us last year, you know that we have Richard on uh, usually once a week uh, leading up now from this point through the draft uh, if, if our schedules allow it. So get used to seeing and hearing Richard Stamen. Thank you for making Locked on Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball across all platforms for free. But Richard, uh, we're going to kick off our crossovers the same way we did last year by just first taking a look inward at the thunder and how uh, they are operating right now. And then at the end of the show, giving a more general expectation for the draft class before next week. And the following weeks, we dive into individual players or positions that the thunder should be looking at in this draft. So let's lead off with the biggest topic around Thunderland right now, which is already questioning SGA's fit with Josh Giddy. Now, what is your opinion? We've kind of seen these two guys thrive separately this season SGA averaging over 30 points right now after his return from injury. And Josh Giddy, of course, ripping off three straight triple doubles and getting uh, four total without SGA. What is your opinion about them combined? Yeah, I do think uh, I'll start with addressing the obvious. I do think that uh, they can fit together just fine. There will be some defensive shortcomings as we've already started to see. But I'm still a fan of the overall perspective of talent fits. Even with the shortcomings, you can neutralize it in other areas. Um, the Thunder have been one of my favorite teams to watch, partially because uh, referencing back to last year, you know, Trey Mann, we talked about him a lot. And his emergence has been really fun. So I've, I've kept my eye on the Thunder. I do think SGA's future is uh, a little up in the air. I don't really know which way to lean. I've seen, you know, people say he wants out. It's a bad kept secret. Like, 
I don't know what to believe, but I do think that if they wanted, if both him and Giddy want to coexist, they can coexist very easily. Yeah, and that's been where I stand too. I mean, basketball-wise, the fit seems pretty clear on what to do and how to make it thrive. It's just a matter of if SGA and Josh Giddy want to work together. Publicly, they've said all the right things, but we've seen Oklahoma City before that you can publicly say the right things, and then secretly, you know, you have a secret back channel of what you actually think. So uh, I, I think that what this comes down to is, with SGA, he's such a phenomenal player that you don't decide to trade SGA. SGA decides if you're going to trade SGA. And so you just got to wait and see what he wants to do. And, and as of right now, we've heard just only good things about what he wants to do in Oklahoma City. So we'll see how that goes down the line. But let's start with Josh Giddy in terms of reviewing this roster, because I think that SGA has kind of cemented it just, you know, keeping him healthy and then also building a team around him. Well, Josh Giddy, you know, kind of comparing him to what you had pre-draft and, and what you had after the preseason, you know, kind of where are you at with Josh Giddy and what does his ceiling look like from somebody who's not emotionally invested in uh, his success or what he can be and isn't kind of wrapped up in this ball of, you know, 40 something games in his rookie season. What, what kind of do you project for Josh Giddy now? Yeah. His upside is still pretty crazy. His floor has been better than I thought. I didn't know he would be this good right away. Um, the three-point shooting is really going to be what dictates that ceiling. I mean, he's at 26% from three, 70% from the line for the field uh, for the year, excuse me, 71%. But the man is a walking triple-double threat, and if you can be that, you are going to have all-star caliber seasons every single year. Obviously, the efficiency is going to be what determines whether you actually get in those all-star games, but we've seen it with Russell Westbrook. Obviously, much different players, but the stat line will always catch the eye where he'll always be on the radar. So I think that's the realistic ceiling is that he's going to be all-star for years to come. I mean, that's I don't think that's crazy to say. Yeah, I, I think that you're right there. I kind of compared him, uh, you know, his ceiling to kind of Jason Kidd a lot on the podcast. But, you know, I, I think that what encourages me the most about his three-point shooting is that he's self-aware about it and that he said publicly to us in the media that, He's going to change his jump shot this summer. It's not something you can change kind of in season. You have to wait to change it until after the season. So he's going to change it this summer, and he's working on it, and he seems, by all accounts, like an extremely hard worker, as somebody who puts an insane amount of time into basketball. So hopefully he can become you know, even a league average shooter because with that floater and his driving ability and his passing ability, that can really kind of enhance his offense. So, so you would kind of put him in that category of – somebody you build around new, of course, the, the future of SGA, we hope is in Oklahoma city. Obviously things can change in a heartbeat in the NBA, but for Josh Giddy on his rookie deal in his first rookie season, now going to a sophomore season, you'd put him in that category of he's somebody you build a championship level team around. Was that correct? Yeah. Having him as a one or two option, uh, I think is very helpful. And, you know, his handles are already very good. They're, I would say deceptively good because this happened in pre-draft. You don't really notice how low he brings the ball in a live dribble like he starts high and then just brings it so low it's unstrippable and something like that I mean I really do think he could be a lead guard in, for a playoff team and I think when you you know it's hard to say if he's the first option or second option but when you're the lead guard until you get like a go-to wing like Paul George or someone like that like it's hard to see anybody dethroning that as the number one option and you mentioned Trey Mann and Trey Mann is this interesting prospect for the Thunder because they started slow playing him at the beginning, the whole Skittles versus Broccoli conversation uh, with Mark and kind of putting him in the G League and allowing him like a 10-minute run at a time. And now, by injuries and other things of that nature and, and by his own play, he's been thrusted into more of a expanded role minute-wise, and he's seen a ton of NBA action 
down the stretch of this season. Where do you stand? Kind of the same question, because I, I think that it's easier to get an evaluation from somebody who's kind of not in the weeds every single night or the thunder to kind of calm everybody down a little bit. Do you still see him as a sixth man type of role? Or do you think that he's shown enough to where maybe he can be a starting level guard in the future? I'm still in that sixth man category for now as like, if he pans out, he can win that award every year and be a bona fide bucket getter that can help you win playoff series because the drop off from starter one to starter two is not going to be that big if Trey Mann's your starter two, right? And you're in your sixth man uh, in that category. But where are you at with Trey Mann? Has he impressed you enough to kind of move the needle of his ceiling? Yeah, he's probably in that same role. I'm also a little bit biased because I did have him as Lou Williams as my NBA comparison. So he kind of is tailor made for that. But I, I do think it really depends on the efficiency. If he's going to stay around the 40% mark for his career while getting like, I mean, it's a good way. Not everyone who shoots, percentages aren't equal, right? Like someone shooting 50 isn't the same 50% as someone else. So if he's shooting around 41%, give or take two percentage points either way, yeah, he's probably best suited for that six-man role. If he can up his efficiency though to 45%, I do think that would be really big for him. Um, I could see him kind of, evolving into more than just a, uh, a microwave scorer, but hopefully, I mean, I think just really efficiency and playmaking will determine what, if he's a bench player or a starter. Is there anything that surprised you the most about either one of these two guys? I think that Trey Mann's leaping ability and ability to get to the rim with his athleticism has been surprising to me, but somebody who's been watching these guys for over a year before the draft and then through the draft process and then now through their rookie season, has anything leaped out to you as a huge surprise about Josh Giddy or a uh, Trey man? Yeah, I was going to say the athleticism, but now I feel like that's just low hanging fruit. But uh, I mean, really that's, that's the answer. Like it's funny because if you remember the beginning of the season, which I know you do, the, he had an explosive dunk and I don't remember who it was on or anything, but he had an explosive dunk and the first game the Mavs played him, uh, or I don't think it was against Dallas, right? The dunk. No, good because the first game Dallas played them. One of our play-by-play commentators is like he did a step back, which I've always thought was his patented move. Watching him in college and like preaching about it, I had like a viral tweet about his his step back, and he did a dunk, and I was like, "Whoa, what?" And then they had the opposite reaction. They're like, "Come on, you don't really see him do a step back. You see him dunking." And I'm like, "Wait, what? Like, what is the perception of this guy?" So I'd say the athleticism definitely has been the answer. Long story short. <laughs> Yeah, and that step back, has just, he's been trying to use it more too in the mid-range to open up a path to the rim, which I love seeing him do. Let's wrap the rookie class with two of the second-rounders real quick. Jeremiah Robinson-Earl and Aaron Wiggins, they've each had different flashes uh, and different spurts of lulls where you know they're dealing with injuries. For Wiggins, it's that ankle injury that keeps reoccurring. And for Jerry, it's that foot injury that's kept him out for you know six weeks. Uh, but just baseline, I know Jerry was your top 12 guy in the, in the pre-draft process. What does this year look like for you uh, from somebody who's had him at such a high stature? Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard because I haven't seen him in so long that I'm kind of, I don't want to say drawing a blank, but I definitely am a little bit foggier on Jeremiah Robinson Earl than guys like Trey Mann who have been playing every day for this entire calendar year. Um, but Jeremiah Robinson Earl, the, the thing that has always stood out to me is that, and, and I think you might've been who tagged me in it. There was a preseason game where, and this is, like obviously not anything but there was a preseason game the thunder were down like 40 or 50 and someone tweeted i want to say it was one of the dunked on guys and they're like jeremiah robinson was the only positive player in this game and he's played like 20 something minutes and like and they're down 50 and i was like huh okay it means nothing because it's preseason but then that stuff kept happening in the regular season where 
he just comes out a positive. And it's the same thing that I projected, but I want to see it in a bigger role, obviously a more expanded role, more meaningful role kind of thing. And the upside though, I think it's clear if he can do it on this team, why wouldn't he be able to do it on teams that are more actively looking to make a playoff spot? So I've been impressed. I think the three point percentage, I have to pull up what it is. Um, 33% just found it is not bad at all. I mean, he was a 30% shooter in college. I really do think the form is projectable. That's going to skyrocket. And really, once that happens, he's going to be a very positive player. Now, I've been a Wigan supporter and, uh, and somebody who's been pumping the Aaron Wiggins agenda all season long. He finally gets his contract converted to a regular NBA deal. Where do you stand on Wiggins? And we've seen this before with the Thunder converting to a deal. Deontay Burton, Moses Brown, uh, Lou Dort being the most successful uh, of all of them. Do you think that he falls more in that Lou Dort role where he's going to be a legitimate NBA player for a few years? Or is he kind of a nice story right now and then he'll go the way of Moses Brown or Deontay Burton? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he is already a better player than Moses Brown. Um, so let's, let's <laughs> yeah, get that, Moses let's get that Brown out of the way go after you. But, <laughs> but I really do think before the game, and I want to say it was against Dallas where he like rolled his ankle or something. Um, before that game, he had had a ton of momentum. The, we talked about this actually right after the draft. I think it was the first episode after the draft that I was on here. Aaron Wiggins, you said like of any of these very late second round guys to, to, to undrafted guys, if any of them stick, which one is it? And I said, I think you, I don't even know if Aaron Wiggins is my top choice. So I don't know if I can take a victory lap, but you said Aaron Wiggins. And the three and D role, something that I pointed out was the three and D role is just so easily scaled up. Like a point guard is the easiest role to replicate. It's hard to scale that up from being undrafted to, you know, making it work. A three and D wing, 100% can do that. And Aaron Wiggins, I really do think he sticks. Um, obviously you want to see some more consistency, whatever. He's a rookie coming off of like, what was it? Late second or undrafted? Like it's going to happen. So I fully buy the three and D upside with him. Yeah. You know, he was the 55th overall pick in this draft and the consistency issues have really uh, only started whenever he rolled his ankle the first time. And now he's since done it again. And now he's questionable for Sunday against Utah, but uh, so we'll see if he plays and gets back on the court. But before that he was really good, even seeing his role fluctuate from, a low minute guy to a high bench guy to a starter at times when they finally decided to shift away from starting Darius Baisley prior to the injuries to uh, other players on this roster. So uh, I think that with Wiggins, I'm very much sold on him being a long-term NBA piece and somebody who helps the team out, obviously not like a superstar, but somebody who really helps uh, fill out your roster and helps you uh, go and, and compete for the playoffs and, and get to the playoffs and things of that nature. But something that can help you right now is betonline.net. Football's over, but basketball is in full swing with both pro and college hoops heating up. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props uh, to where the next fired coach will land, betonline.net is the number one spot for your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, Olympics, and if baseball ever comes back, baseball as well. So go to the website right now or the mobile device and check out the trends in action. BetOnline is where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
We're back on the Lockdown Thunder podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you for making Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball for your next listen. Go check out the Lockdown Now podcast, a nightly recap show of every game in the NBA from the night before. I'm joined by Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. And Richard, we've reviewed this entire rookie class. Now that we have almost a full season under our belt, to tie up that segment, what is your grade for Sam Presti with a draft class of Josh Giddy, Trey Mann, Wiggins, and Jerry? Yeah, it's it's hard not to give that an A, an, at least an A. I mean, the Giddy pick was very unpopular, even for myself. I thought that was a, a stretch. Hey, it's worked. It's worked. And then you find JRE, you hit on Trey Mann. And I mean, Aaron Wiggins is a really good pick. Four for four, at least in year one, is really impressive. You don't hear that. So, and maybe I missed someone too. Um, maybe I'm just thinking because Vit Kretschy is a rookie. Five for five, why not? But I, I really do think that it was at, it's in the A scale, whether it's A minus, A plus, or just an A. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how how Vit develops. This is his rookie season because he's playing his first minutes after that ACL injury from the 2020, 2020 class. Uh, but looking forward to the 2022 class, obviously that's going to be so important. And the Thunder have three first-round picks, and they have uh, so much ability to kind of change their franchise in this draft and then the drafts following it and even in the offseason with their amount of assets to trade. But that creates roster turnover. I mean, you have presumably three first-round picks entering unless they consolidate those picks in some way like they might. Uh, and you need three roster spots to open up at that point. So looking at this roster, who do you view as you know the the untouchables, the guys who you would for sure, if you're Sam Presti, keep around moving forward? Let's say even if the speculation of an expansion draft happens, who, who would you put as an untouchable in that sense? Who are your guys and how would you rank this roster? Yeah, I think for me, it starts with SGA, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, And after that, there's a few guys that are in that kind of in-between area, probably Poku gets thrown in there uh, just because you've invested so much into him. It feels like uh, Trey Mann, probably Darius Baisley is the line where it starts to get a little bit weird. Aaron Wiggins, I might throw in there. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd say if you need numbers, probably him right now, but that would probably be the line where I'd say anything after that, I can, I can make a pretty good argument against better than I can make an argument for. And so we've seen Pokashevsky have another up and down type of season. And, uh, all ties into where his G League stint most recently helps him get over the hump and become better in the NBA ranks as it did last year in his rookie season. But what have you seen from Poku this year as you track his development? That's been really well uh, documented and it's been kind of really well uh, publicized over these last couple of weeks, especially, but all season long, really, how would you uh, grade or evaluate this season from Poku? Cause I think that this year he's played a much more regulated and much more kind of under control role where it does not lead to the bloopers and funny moments and memes, but it leads to more sustainable NBA success. But where are you at as somebody outside kind of looking at Poku and with a more of a scout eye and not an emotional eye? Yeah. So for starters, um, I think it's important to clarify that, and this is as of Sunday from 11 of the last 12 games that the Thunder have played in, he's played. And in that span, he's averaging 11 points a game, six rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block on 48% shooting, 40% from three and 86% from the line. So he's clearly finding a rhythm. I don't think these are just empty stats. I do think these are actually meaningful flashes because the whole thing with Poku is the dude is young. The dude is playing at way too high of a level that he's not ready for, and he's still doing that. So 
again, I think the upside is still very realistic. I'm not giving up on him from one and a half seasons, really. If that feels like a more than it's actually been, I'm not giving up on that at all because that's just really looking at it in a vacuum because you can't compare him to like 21 year olds that have been playing since they were eight. Like going up from the second division in Greek to the even the G League is a hell of a jump. And then you factor in that he went to the NBA right away really big jump that he wasn't ready for and i think it's more of just once he gets comfortable that's when things are going to take off it starts with getting to the rim more i think that's going to be something he has to figure out and if he can't get to the rim at least hit the jump shots a lot more which is what he's done over the last 12 games and i i think that you're right i think that it needs to be put in perspective because as thunder fans we're watching the team every night and we saw last year poke get a ton of minutes and, and we've seen him this year being the rotation a lot and we kind of it's kind of the old new syndrome where, oh, we've got this new shiny rookie in Josh Giddy, this new shiny rookie in Trey Man, this new shiny big in Jerry, where he kind of gets pushed down and down the totem pole of the new shiny toy. When in reality, he probably should even be here right now in the NBA. Like if, if you listen to Fran Fraschella and other guys pre-draft, he was two years away from being two years away. And I don't say that to knock Fran Fraschella. I say that because you know, Fran Fraschella is one of the most, one of the best international scouts that there are um, and kind of keeps tabs on everything that's happening international in basketball. And even he said, I think that he's two years away from being two years away. So he's already kind of jumped expectations in that way. And he's still just 20 years old. And I mean, that's very, very, very young. But what would you say his ceiling is? I, I know it's going to be hard to project, but if your best guess at Poku's ceiling, if everything ends up working out. Man, I, I want to say it's a, a pretty almost league average starting forward. Uh or starting a power forward is probably his best role, which I think is a pretty good player. That's probably almost a top 100 player. I think that would be a pretty good thing to have. Like, I don't know if he's going to be that star really like that. He was projected to be, I think that was always a little bit unrealistic, but I think he'll go as far as his finishing ability takes him and finishing willing to finish through contact takes him because if he can do that, that's a whole other level unlocked in his game until then he probably has to be what he is doing now over these last 12 games that's what he needs to be doing as a shooter to really sustain that. And like, I think he'll be able to play help side defense, obviously getting stronger will do a lot, but he's just still, like you said, I mean, the two years away from two years away thing actually is very applicable to Poku. And I think that's, you'll kind of have a better idea in two years of what the realistic outcome is. Now I, I, I can kind of guess your opinion on, on this player, given the whole expansion draft exercise, but Tam Aldon has had an interesting NBA career where uh, last year he led the team in minutes and he looked very solid, looked like he could be a nice solid point guard in the NBA, a, a backup quality guy. Uh, and then he went to the G League, I mean, not the G League, he went to the Summer League with the team and he was all jacked and, and had put on a ton of muscle and he looked like he just a, a man amongst boys out there physically uh, and then just did not play well at all in Summer League and did not dominate that circuit as you would expect him to as somebody who led a team in minutes in the NBA and put on muscle and looked really good physically entering the summer league period did not play well and then started slow this season and since then he started he's played better since the all-star break but still 20 years old uh, playing a position that's a little bit crowded for the thunder especially you know after this draft and uh, the subsequent drafts to follow uh, and he's you know he, he's in a position now where he's averaging five points per game and his minutes per game has gone down from 27 to 14 a lot of that's due to roster construction in general but still a massive decline in that way and a lot of the times being outside of the rotation, but what is your overall opinion on Tim Alvon and, and, and does he still have a path to become a regular in the NBA or is he more of sort of a, a journeyman 
Uh, no one really cares if they have him, but they do like to have him on their roster in general. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty low on Teo Maladon. Uh, I think Oklahoma City is not the spot for him at the very best. I'm, I'm not sure he lasts long in the league. I mean, there's a very, very strong argument for him being the worst player in the league right now. And when that's when you're in that discussion, it's hard to stay in the league. I mean, there's some advanced metrics that have done that to players that have ended up fine. Darius Garland, his rookie year, is one of the quote-unquote worst players in the league, but it was a lot different. It wasn't because of skill and traits. Teo Maldon doesn't have the percentages, and also he's very scared to get to the rim, and he cannot shoot. So it's been a, a you can't have that combo as a guard. Whereas, you know, Darius Garland, like we know how he is. He's a playmaker who can shoot. He just wasn't making his shots. So it really hurt him. But Maladon has a very uphill battle, and I'm not sure that he's going to be able to climb that hill. Coming up, we're going to talk about this NBA draft class and, and kind of where the Thunder sit right now uh, on Tankathon and amid, and among the, uh, the worst teams in the NBA and what this draft can mean heading into March Madness for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Rylan Stiles, joined by Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. You can follow all his work there. Uh, Richard, this draft season is, is approaching, right? For you, it's a year-round thing, but for most people, they start paying attention here at March Madness and then go backwards and watch the rest of the regular season for college hoops and uh, international seasons on YouTube and things like that. But heading into March Madness, the Thunder sit right now, again on Sunday, uh, in fourth place. They are 20-43, and 43, pinning the results of the Jazz game uh, tonight. And they're five games back of the worst record in the NBA. And that worst record, one through three, is kind of just a jumbled mess of one and a half games separating Houston, Orlando, and Detroit. So it seems pretty likely the Thunder will finish four uh, and will kind of be here. Of course, they still got to battle Indiana and Sacramento. But uh, around this fourth area, and they have a you know a 12.5% chance to go to the top overall pick and a 48% chance of being top five. And it can slip to as low as about eight uh, in the draft. So all that being said, big picture for the draft, how many guys are there on the, on this surface that you feel comfortable saying you can build a championship level team around? Um, you know, I, I would never say zero because every single class over the last like 15 years has had somebody. So three tops. It's just, it's not a class that you want if you're trying to build top end talent. I don't know if this one's it. I don't know if this one's really the one you want. Like you do want to be in the top three or four, but you, number one versus number three, really there's the drop off is so minimal. That's, that's kind of what my logic behind that is. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but next year's the year where there is a lot of top end talent, right? Yes. Uh, Scoot Henderson in the G league ignite would go number one without in this year. And Victor Wembanyama out in France, um, he is a. I, I hate the comparison because we used it on Obamba, but uh, you know the whole the closest thing to Rudy Gobert with the jump shot is him. It's not actually a comparison, but in, in terms of just size to play style, that is actually what it is because he can handle the ball low and shoot a jump shot. But those are the guys that those two head and shoulders are the best prospects in the world right now. And so with this draft, presumably your top three is some combination of Chet uh, and. Paulo and Jabari Smith and the drop-off between one and three is not that wide. I think that, I think that if you asked people who do this NBA draft thing year round, they'd all come up with some different combination of those three uh, in general. So that kind of shows you the, the minute drop-off from those three, but the drop-off from one to three, it went from three to four is how big. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, I have him. um, I have that same top three. I've gone with the consensus uh, for three and four. It, I mean, four is where the drop off happens. I mean, for some, actually, Jaden Ivey slips into that top three, and that's where the interesting part of this draft heads up is where Jaden Ivey goes because that throws off a whole dynamic. To me, it's a no brainer. The top three, um, just because, and it's not anything against Jaden Ivey. The top three are Chet in any order: Chet, Jabari, Powell. But Jaden Ivey comes in and mixes up. Shaden Sharp is a mystery from Kentucky who hasn't played. He's a high scorer basically at this point, reclassified. Um, It's a mystery of what could happen after those three picks. And for the Thunder, just kind of your feeling, if you were Sam Presti, would be what on draft night, on draft lighter night, if you get pick even two to pick four, what would you feel uh, the drop off would be for the Thunder specifically as a team that can't really use Jaden Ivey at four uh, in general with this current makeup? Yeah. Um, for me, if I, if I was picking at two or three, I would take whichever isn't gone at this point of Paolo Chet Jabari. You take, you know, just gradually make the list. You really can't go wrong with any of them. At four, that's where I think things get interesting. If it were me, I would actually, I, I, I'm hesitant to say Jaden Ivey because on one hand, yes, talent does fit. But also as a Magic fan, I say this. Is there such a thing as too many guards? Because I think there might be, especially when the timelines are pretty similar. So maybe not Jaden Ivey, as he, even though he might end up the most talented player in the class, his burst is just unreal. He does have some John Morant in him, which after this year, it's hard to turn that down. I would actually go AJ Griffin on the wing. Um, he's an incredibly talented shooter, great size. I, I really think he could be a Kawhi Leonard type. And if you're getting that, that's the best player in the draft. I don't care what draft it is. I mean, that's a Hall of Famer. Not to say A.J. Griffin is, but, I mean, they have very similar play styles and the frames are similar. The way they both go around screens, I went back and watched some old Kawhi Leonard tape and saw the way the screen navigation is. is almost identical. Things like that. There's just a lot of Kawhi to his game. Not a one-to-one, but when you can get someone like that, I think that's, a, that's who I would go for at four. And so, again, if you've been around this show for over a year, whenever we've incorporated Richard every single week and even going back to the 2020 class we've done this same thing uh we're going to be talking with Richard a lot hopefully once a week depending on how the schedules line out so we're going to get into the weeds a bit here in the future but just for a little teaser uh we've already established that Chet Jabari and Paolo are kind of similar but yours you're in the room with Sam Presti the Thunder get the top overall pick he wants you to decide what who best fits the Thunder Jabari Paolo or Chet and you've got to make the call here. All the pressure's on you. It's the, it's the save uh, Sam Presti in this scenario. And, and how do you make his reputation look the best between Paolo, Jabari, and Chet? Who are you going with? Well, first I call LeBron James and tell him, you know what? This isn't the smartest person alive. He's calling an internet scout to make a move for him and as number one pick. And then after that, I probably I, – I think I would go with uh, – man, you know, Oklahoma City is so hard to choose because Chet really on paper is the pick. Um, but I don't, and I've talked to the NBA scouts about this, two of them that have said this exact same thing. Can his body hold up for a full season? We don't think so. To me, 
I think the clear number one picture or number one pick throughout the NBA landscape right now is Jabari Smith. And that's probably who I go with. It also helps one. He, I mean, to me, he's big Clay Thompson. That's my comparison for him. If you add four, three inches to him, that's who you got. And on top of that, you get someone at 6'10", although he doesn't put a lot of pressure on the rim, you get a great shooter to help the team that is absolutely dead last in all catch and shoot and spot up opportunities. The shooting is really bad. You get a major fix there. And on top of that, your already top 10 defense gets even better. I think he complements the core very well, even if he ends up being one of the best complementary pieces. If you get Clay Thompson type caliber player, not going to say he's the best shooter in the world. I think there's a drop off there. I think that goes without saying a little bit, but like just the role you're getting a three, one of the best three and D players that kind at six ten, a six ten three and D guy is one of the most valuable roles you can have. That's a borderline all star. So I take Jabari Smith at number one. Yeah, we're on the same page. I, I think that Chet is the most thundery pick, but Jabari is the best basketball pick for the Thunder. I love his potential fit with Josh Giddy and SGA, and hopefully uh, Sam Presti does too, because I think that he's the pick over Chet, even though the Thundery pick would be to go with Chet and not think twice about it. But we'll see how it all uh, shakes out. We're going to have prospect deep dives on every prospect, and we're going to have debates about Candy Chandler, I'm sure, for weeks and weeks to come because I love Candy Chandler, and I want to see where Richard falls on that. He might be our uh, our new divisive prospect. Tried to say all last year on Jalen Green. I'll try to say all this year on uh, Candy Chandler. I was just thinking that. You know, we agreed at the top of the pick or top of the draft for once last year. It was completely we were torn on all of them. And now look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Who would have thought? Richard, <laughs> where can they find all of your great uh, work and, and, and follow along with your uh, in-depth reports uh, as we enter in March Madness? We're all going to be watching uh, college basketball together. Yeah, appreciate it. So at Mavs Draft will pretty much be the hub. I'll post anything that I post to the site, MavsDraft.com, and then also podcast links, um, which I do the show every Tuesday. We're probably going to crank it up come draft season. I think you're going to start seeing, you know, more of the the host kind of crossovers, things like that. We might even try a Friday episode. Who knows? But as March Madness rolls on, uh, I'll be posting more and more scouting reports for you to keep up with. So thanks for having me, Rylan. No problem, Richard. Always a pleasure. Go follow him at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.